Happy Father's Day, everyone. Um, here's my Father's Day entrance. Yeah, I had all these interviews set up, all these things that were, gonna, that were supposed to happen, and nothing ever happened. Uh, I mean, I was working on Hugh Jackman. I was working on Keith Urban. I was working on Tim Allen. Nothing ever came together. It kind of felt like God was just saying, hey, take a year. You're going to marry off your daughter the week before this Father's Day, your last daughter. Take a year and just chill and talk about what all of that means on Father's Day. So here's my entrance. Boom, I'm sitting down. I'm tired. I'm broke. That's all I got. This happened last weekend, okay? You, you, you get the idea, all right? Uh, man, it was beautiful. It was incredible. Um, I, I, I don't know why they call it giving her away because it cost me an awful lot of money to <laughs> give her away. Um, but we did, it. we did it up in the San Bernardino Mountains in California, nearby where they went to school. Just some more pictures of them. I'll let you kind of go through them. My daughter is gorgeous, and Andy is a great catch, and we were very excited for them uh, to start their journey together. This is my third daughter, my last one to get married. Uh, bridal party, both of the, you know, the, the sisters are in it. One of the best moments was the sisters doing the maid of honor speech. It was incredible. We're obviously a family that has faith and praise together, and obviously you can see my son-in-law still don't take it seriously because one of them had just cracked a joke. So they're both laughing during my serious prayer right there. But uh, that's, that's the only, that's the only, that only makes them, you know, more a part of our family, right? Um, really meaningful as I'm walking down the aisle, uh, Andy's dad, who's a pastor but has Parkinson's disease pretty severely, uh, was able to stand up and kind of do the pastor part and, you know, who gives this woman. And he, he got through it really well. He was able to communicate really well right up until the end and he started really shaking really bad holding his notes and so I just reached up my hand and kind of steadied him and you know it, just, it was just a natural reaction but it was like the two families coming together you know I mean it was just that that kind of a moment uh, beautiful all the way around exchanging rings everything everything was great it was 76 degrees perfect weather everything's done um, and no I didn't make it through very well and I probably may, won't make it through today very well either but um, parenting is not easy okay I think that's one of the things that we got to talk about along the way here let me help you to understand parenting here just a little bit all right in the beginning God made his children right Adam and Eve and he put them on the earth and he said there's only one rule. Don't eat of the tree. And Adam said, we got a tree? And Eve said, I didn't know we had a tree. Yeah, they, they looked at the tree and, and, and God was like, no, that's the one tree you're not supposed to. How come? Why? 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 They kept asking, right? Because I'm your father and I said so, God said to them, right? And pretty soon he walks away and he comes back and what does he see them doing? disobeying him, eating the apple. He said, didn't I tell you not to eat the fruit? And Adam said, well, she did it. And she said, did not, did too. They went back and forth. And finally, God said, all right, here's the punishment, you guys. You're going to have your own children. <laughs> That's Genesis 1 and 2 right there, all summed up for you, okay? And what I, want to, what I want to tell you is that, you know, in the, in, the, in the good times, in the bad times, even in the joyous times of letting them go, like I went through last weekend, it's still hard. It's hard to, to raise kids, okay? And it also goes really fast. Band's still out here because one of the most popular songs on the radio right now, a quirky song written by Lucas Graham about how fast 
it all goes in life. And um, one day, basically, you are here, me and my little cutie, Becca, and the next day, you are here. It just seems like that. It goes that fast. Let's pray. God, I just want to pray as we honor our fathers today. Um, soon I'll be 60 years old. <laughs> uh, I hope my kids come and visit once or twice a year. What about it? Um, it it's just, a, it's, it's amazing how fast life goes, and it's amazing how many different emotions are going on a Father's Day. Because I know there are people in this room who didn't, have, didn't know their dads, didn't have a good relationship with the dad, didn't have a good dad. I know there are people in this room who wanted to be fathers and it hasn't happened yet or it didn't happen. I, I know there are people who lost their fathers this past year especially or, or they're just missing that relationship today. The gamut of emotions is so huge. Would you just be with us and help us to feel the presence of our real father this day? And we ask for your blessing in Jesus' name, amen. I mean, I get that. There's a lot of emotions that go into it. I, you know, not everybody had a good dad and all those kinds of things. I get that. Here's the deal. One of the Ten Commandments is honor your father and mother, right? I don't think that means that you sweep your toxic parents' behavior under the rug and send them a box of chocolates. I think it's a general principle. But the interesting thing about it to me is it's the, fourth com it's the fifth commandment, okay? It's the fifth commandment. The first ones... The, the first ones are about honoring God and loving God and respecting God. And then you've got love your father and mother. And then the last five are about society. And I think in general, what, what this whole idea is, is that God gave us parents to help us bridge the gap between God and how we live with each other. And how it goes, I mean, the Apostle Paul essentially said it this way. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Do you see where I'm at? Whether you believe in God or not in the first four commandments at all doesn't really matter. We all agree at this point that the last five are important. I think we do. Don't steal. Don't lie. Don't break your wedding vows. Don't covet. Those things do not make the world a better place, and it's your parents who are supposed to help you with that. Don't murder. I mean, we were horrified by the events in Orlando last weekend. Murder is always wrong. We know that. We're supposed to be taught that. Whether it's in anger or because someone acts or believes differently than you, it doesn't matter. It's wrong. We know this. We should know this by now. But the Apostle Paul says that these principles are not just about honoring God. They're not about just the first four. They're also about the last five. And those last five are about a long life on the earth. It's about a good life. That's what it's supposed to be. So as parents, we realize, and again, you know, whatever happened in your life with the God side of things, that's important. I'm going to talk about that today. But what's really important from those principles and from our parents is that we learn how to live in this life now, a good life. And we all know we need a lot more of that. So then those of us who are parents, those of you who are parents, I'm done. I, I'm signed off the certificate. I'm done. I'm out. For those of you who are parents, that freaks you out a little bit, doesn't it? We've been doing this series here called Insomnia, which keeps you up at night. And I would say that as I talk to people, one of the main things is something to do with their family. You know, whether it's your kids or not, it's something to do with their family. 
It, it, you know, there's a comedian who said, man, I loved it when I got my first universal remote control. I thought, this changes everything. No, 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 it's not like that Adam Sandler movie where you get a universal remote control and you can fix everything in the world. It's not like that. You can't do that as a parent. You've got to trust in God along the way. But I remember when it first became vivid to me that this parent thing was going to be hard. You know when it was, right, for all of us? It was that first kid being born. I mean, right out, of, right out of the gate, you're like, okay, this is, this is it. This changes everything. In 1987, when our daughter Rachel was born, um, Denise got an epidural. It was common back then. I know some of you, you know, would be, you know, it's not good to do the drugs. You need to do it natural. Can I just say that if guys were having babies, we would get the drugs? <laughs> Am I right? Am I right? Yeah, yeah. Shoot it right there. Okay, good. Here we go. So, so, so she got the drugs, and we'd been through all of the Lamaze nonsense, you know. We'd been through all the classes and all that stuff, and I'm like, okay, I'm ready. When do we, ha, ha, he, he, when do we do that, you know? So, so she gets the, we, I mean, it was textbook, 7.15 in the morning, or water breaks, we go to the hospital, doc says everything's looking good. She gets the epidural. The baby's born at 2.15, okay? I did nothing I did literally, I mean, I, I didn't even, I, I did, it wasn't just that I didn't do Lamaze, it was that she couldn't feel the contractions. The only thing that I did was look at the monitor and say, okay, you're having a contraction. All right, good. How long are they? How far apart are they? That was it. I had video camera in one hand and a, you know, still camera in the other hand. I'm just like, yeah, this is really cool. And the nurse said, time for the baby. And the doctor came in and I held her hand and Rachel came out. It was a piece of cake. That's my version, okay? <laughs> Actually, she'd tell you the same thing. I'm like, why do we go to those dumb classes? I don't even understand this. So we get in the room, and we're all by ourselves, and that's when the classes started to come in handy, all right? There I am sitting there, you know, watching a baseball game on TV. We're all just kind of chilling, sitting around, and all of a sudden, Rachel started to whimper, started to cry over in her little bassinet thing. I'm like, what's wrong? Is she broken? Is something wrong? <laughs> And he said, no, she probably just needs you to change your diaper. I said, well, where's the call button? Who do we call? And, you know? And he said, no, you do it. We, this is us. This is our problem now. So she's, I'm over there with the diaper. She's like talking me through it like I'm defusing a bomb, you know? I mean, <laughs> cut the red wire first, right? You peel back the little strip and then peel back the other strip and then pull it down. I'm like, oh, ho, ho. <sighs> Right? Nobody ever warned me about that black tar stuff in there. How, how could she have a poopy diaper? She hasn't eaten anything yet. I don't understand this. And I think that's when it dawned on me, this little 8-pound, 15-ounce bundle of pink skin is my responsibility. Where's the universal remote when I need it? And it intensifies through the years. Am I going to be able to provide for this child? Am I going to mess up this child? Because I know I'm messed up. You know, do we get the shots? Do we not get the shots? Will I lose her in that ball pit in Chuck E. Cheese? That's always scared me. <laughs> and, and, and it never stops, you guys. I want you to know it never stops. So what do we do with it? Well, let, me, let me take you to a guy named Jairus in the Bible who was having a real problem with one of his kids. She was literally dying. It was a 12-year-old girl. And watched the interaction with Jesus on the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they'd been, here, they'd been there waiting for him. And a man named Jairus came, a ruler in the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter 
a girl of about 12, was dying. Nothing brings you to your knees faster than your family, right? This is the most important guy in the city, big man on his knees, felt the feet of Jesus. Why? Because he had a, a daughter with a problem. Matthew 15, 22, a woman comes to Jesus and says, have mercy, master, son of David. My daughter is cruelly affected by an evil spirit. In, uh, in Mark chapter nine, another guy comes whose kid's got a problem. He says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. So many people come to God when they have children. Because there's real need there. There's a real prayer there spoken by an honest parent. That's what brings us. And Jesus responded with compassion and care to every one of them. And he wants to do the same for you. But let me solve this whole thing right up front. And then I'm going to give you some advice, some grandfatherly advice, okay? Let me solve this whole thing up front. This should help you with anything that you're worried about with any family member that you have. Everyone on earth is God's child first, even that eight pound, 15 ounce bundle of joy was God's problem first, God's child first. So is your uncle, so is your nephew that's got a drug problem, your spouse, your, your, your grandparents that are aging, whatever it is, they are God's child first. Look at this. The psalmist said, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Your eyes, God's eyes saw my and your and your kids and everybody else's unformed body before it was formed, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. When it comes right down to it, all of the people on the earth are God's kids. Your kids are God's kids. And one of the most important remedies to helping you with insomnia when it comes to worrying about your kids or your loved ones one, one way or the other is hitting your knees and bringing them to the feet of Jesus. Some of you are really struggling with this. And I know it doesn't mean you don't stop loving them. It doesn't mean, you know, you're not involved in their lives. What it means is that they're not yours and you've got to entrust them daily, entrust them into the hands of God because he's the one that loves them the most. So let me come back to that. Now that I'm done with fatherhood, okay, stage of life at least, let me pass on a few things to you. This is what I really felt God wanted me to do the week after giving my daughter away for Father's Day. Just some things that I think you should concentrate on if you are parents. Instead of the what ifs, here's what I would encourage you to concentrate on. If I'm talking to my son-in-laws who are raising my grandchildren, this is what I want them to hear. First of all, make sure your marriage is the top priority. Because listen to me, someday you are going to be stuck with each other. <laughs> you are going to be flying home with nothing but a dirty wedding dress and a bunch of bills and you're going to come home and all you're going to have is each other. I read the fundamental wedding scripture at Becca and Andy's wedding. It's all the way back to Genesis 2. God said, here's what marriage is about. This cause, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will be one flesh. That terminology is only ever used in this relationship. That is your main human relationship. That's part of the hardship of being the dad of daughters and giving them away. Because up until last weekend, I was still the main man in Becca's life. I'm still the one providing. I'm still the one doing that. But that's not the main relationship. Her main relationship now is with Andy. And that's how that's supposed to go. 
and that my main relationship is still with Denise. It has been for 32 years, and it's going to continue. And if you don't make that a priority, even while you've got kids, you're going to be in trouble later. You know the divorce rate is high for empty nesters. And the problem is most marriages center on the children. We want to give them what we never had or, or spoil them or help their self-esteem or whatever, and we spend all of our time and all of our money and all of our energy on them, and we forget that we have each other, and we're going to come back to each other. And Denise and I have really been there for years. Becca's been out, of, the kids have been out of the house, but it hits now. And I was looking back at an at old Father's Day sermon that I did when Becca was six years old. I just looked back at some stuff because I got it all archived. And here's what I said in 1998. And now I wonder, what will our life be like when they are gone? Sure, I'm looking forward to many aspects of it. The freedom, having Denise able to do more things with me in ministry. Very true and very true. Except for her having to make a ton of money to pay for their college, which was also very true. There are things I look forward to but I know it will be awfully quiet. And it is. And I know that I want my marriage to be strong now and strong as they are leaving so that it will be strong after they're gone. And it is. Empty nest rocks, you guys, I'm telling you. Give me another week, I'm gonna forget I ever had any kids, okay? <laughs> Just let me process this. How does that happen? How can, how can you get to this place and be empty nest and still have a great relationship with your spouse? Well, Becca and Andy demonstrated that during their wedding ceremony. I'd never seen this done before, but they did a uh, foot washing in the wedding ceremony. Foot washing was from Jesus the last night of his life. He did the most servant-hearted thing he could, and he washed the disciples' feet because nobody else decided to do it. And what you need to know about this picture is that Becca has a foot phobia, okay? I mean, it, it just freaks her out. I mean, whenever she was little, if we wanted to bug her, not that saying that I ever did that, we would put our feet, you know, just over by her in the car or something, and she'd just be all wigged out. So, so she chose, she and Andy chose to do, instead of a unity candle or, you know, building a birdhouse or whatever people do during the, during the weddings, right? I mean, gosh... <laughs> I, li I like this. It's biblical, and it demonstrates I'm going to serve you. I get what marriage is. I'm going to serve you. And it was so beautifully exemplified by the fact that Andy has grown up for the last 10 years with a dad with Parkinson's, and his mom has had to take care of him in a lot of ways. And Becca's grandmother was there, my wife's mom, who has Parkinson's and, and is in a wheelchair, and, and her husband of 59 years has to take care of her, and she flew out from Missouri to be there for that. I mean, when, when you can look at that and talk about that, the foot washing thing, that makes sense. That's how it works, okay? I can give you all kinds of advice on your marriage, but, but have that attitude like Jesus did, you're good. Number two, teach your children responsibility and independence while they are under your roof. All right? They're going to they're gonna want their independence, and you are going to have to decide where to set the limits, and it's going to be up to you. They don't like to be told no. One little boy was talking to his friend. He said, first they teach you to walk, then they teach you to talk, and then it's sit down and shut up the rest of your life. Yeah, okay. <laughs> 
because we have to set limits on them while they're young. And at the same time, they're going to be looking for their own independence along the way. And what I, I, I illustrate that by giving them a little bit more rope, okay? Just give them a little bit more rope along the way and watch how they do it. But you're in control of that. It happens in your home. My parents did this really well because I was obviously going to keep pushing up against the, you know, the limits. And they had rules for me. My dad, when I was 16, he, I wanted to drive the car. He said, you can drive the car if you get a haircut. I mean, this was 1977, remember? Yeah. I told dad, dad, dude, read the Bible. Jesus didn't have short hair. <laughs> My dad said, you read the Bible. Jesus walked everywhere he went. <laughs> Up to you. Now you see where I get it. I'll give, you, I'll give you one example of how this worked for us. It's one example, and it may not work for you. We had our kids in public school when they were young, and then really encouraged them to go to a Christian university when they were going to be on their own. It's not for everyone. We were in Mokina school system. You know, our junior high principal went to our church, goes to our church at that, from, that, from that time point. Our, the principal of Lincoln Way East from back then was a part of our church. They had, they, I mean, good Christian mentors. Our daughter was in, all of our daughters were in the choral program there. And I was just the greatest Christian lady that was a great influence on them. They, they, I mean, I'm not, it, it depends on where you're at and what's going on. I'm not saying it's the right for everyone. But what we loved about that was that, they were in the world. They would go off to the world every day. And I know Christian school is too, but they were, they were out seeing these things and knowing these things. And then they came home and they were under our roof and we could process them. And then when it was time to go to college, we really encouraged them to go to a Christian university because we wanted to, Becca met Andy at the university where she went to. That's what's logically going to happen. And we wanted them to be around those people when they were out on their own. Again, everything works differently for everybody else. Our son-in-law, Tommy, that married our middle daughter, grew more in his faith at Bradley University because he was involved in Campus Crusade than anybody I've ever seen in my life. So God's going to figure all those things out. What I'm saying is that you have to figure out some freedoms and some safeguards for them while they're in your house. And the two mistakes that parents make is they either overindulge them or they underindulge them. Usually you overindulge them. One counselor said he thinks 85% of parents are not confident in their role in child rearing. So they let the kids rule over things. They're like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, so just go do whatever and leave me alone. Listen, that's not it, okay? We set rules and we didn't budge on the rules. Our daughters found great husbands and we are blessed and there's no rules you could set for that. But there were some rules that we did along the way to help them along the way to make sure that we did everything we could to help them understand how to make the right decisions on their own. One of those was that we did not allow them to be alone with a boy on a date until they were 16 years old. Old fashioned, baby. No, they went to... Uh, that's a mom clapping, not a kid. They... they they went, listen, they went to dances and groups. They had boyfriends, okay? But they had limits. And you say, well, didn't you trust them? Of course we did. We didn't trust your sons. <laughs> Super Bowl commercial of the year, 2016, ladies and gentlemen. That's my favorite commercial. Listen, they won't always like it. Do you always like it when your heavenly father makes you do things you want to do? Because honestly, I don't. 
It doesn't matter where the line's drawn. You're going to have to figure that out. You just know, got to know to draw it, okay? You don't fence them in, keep them in too much. You give them space, but you figure it out. This is the interesting part. Not very many scriptures to dads in the Bible, but the rest of this verse. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is the right thing to do. Why? Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise. It's the first one that has a promise with it. If you honor your father and mother, then it will go well with you and you may enjoy a long life on the earth. And then the next verse says, fathers don't exasperate your children. What does that mean? Well, it means if you give them too much freedom, you're going to exasperate them because they're not going to be able to learn how to live their life. If you don't give them enough freedom, you're going to exasperate them. It could, be, it could go either way. Being a parent is like helping your kid ride a bike, all right? You got to know when to hold on and you got to know when to let go. I know that sounds like a bad Kenny Rogers song, but that's, what, that's the idea. <laughs> if, you don't, if you don't hold on long enough, they're going to crash and burn. If you hold on too long, they're going to get really sick and tired of dragging you around all the time. So you can't be either one of those people. Your goal is to train them to be able to cope with life on their own. Third, give them a spiritual foundation. Most important thing, again, the first four commandments are about God. Then there's the parent thing. Then there's the life thing. The most important thing that we do is not to give them a good education. It's not to straighten their teeth or teach them not to burp in public. Those are all very important. But your job is to give them a spiritual foundation. And you can't provide for them what you don't have. That's why we're always talking about how important it is to get in through the core classes at Parkview, to get involved in a small group, to get involved in something. The number one reason people come back to church is because they have kids and they know they want to pass something on to their kids. But, but here's the deal. The most important thing is the values that are caught, not the ones that are taught. And they're going to come from you. Our church's programs are great. Denise and I had all three of our daughters raised all the way through the Parkview programs here. And I can't say enough about how awesome they are. But here's the sobering reality. If, on average, you are, have your child in, in one of our kids' programs or student ministry, we're going to get them maybe 40 hours a week. Maybe 40 hours, okay? I mean, take away vacations, holiday weekends, whatever. You know, some of you joint custody, all that, right? 40 hours a week. Here's a fun fact. If your kids are average, they will spend 400 hours a year. I said a, year, I said a week. 40 hours a year, okay? That's what we're going to get. If your kids are average in math, they're going to they're gonna get 400 hours a year doing math. I'm not talking about like the, the, the geeky ones. I'm talking on average, they're going to spend 400 hours a year doing math. That's 10 times more than they're going to be in a program at church. And they are never going to use math ever again. <laughs> they have a smartphone, teachers. Do you see where I'm going with this? Okay, your average kid spends 700 hours a year playing video games compared to 40 hours at church. All the kids are like, man, I really don't like this guy. Can we leave? No, listen to me. That's not the deal. I'm not going to go on a tirade about sports or video games or TV or math. Parents, one way or another, even if your kids are in traveling soccer, you still have 3,000 hours a year with them in your life to impact them. But literally, what I'm saying is you, you literally have up to 100 times more opportunity to impact your children than we ever will. And remember, they're not your children. So that kind of takes the pressure off, but then again, it kind of puts the pressure back on. They're God's kids. 
and he entrusted them to you to help along their way. Makes it nice if your toddler's in the store and they're screaming and people are looking at you. You can say, not my kid, you know. <laughs> but this is God's kid, man. You have the responsibility. And you have a hundred times more, more opportunity than I ever will. You have the opportunity to do this. So, so, so could you sit down at dinner and have a prayer together? Which would mean, of course, first of all, sitting down to dinner, period. What if you engaged in a few conversations throughout the day? What if you served together? Just got involved in, in kids' ministry or, or got involved on, go, go on a missions trip sometime. My best memories of being with Becca are, are when we were able to go out and help somebody outside. It doesn't have to be Africa. It could be the homeless in downtown Chicago. Do something together with them. Could you take a little section of the Bible and read it together as a family and talk about it once a week? I love what Craig Groeschel says in his book, Weird. He said, our greatest priority as Christian parents is to gradually transfer our children's dependence away from us until it rests on God. You've already heard us talk. We're going to do a, a series starting next week, and it's through July, called Hashtag Wisdom. We're going to study uh, the book of Proverbs, where all the wisdom scriptures come from in the Bible. And we're going to talk about how to have godly wisdom. And here's what we're doing that's going to be a little different. I mean, for one thing, it's going to be Todd and Casey and myself teaching all through this series. There are no guests coming in doing anything else. We're doing this series all together. And, and, it's, and it's going to start, the, the, the this devotional stuff is going to start in July. We'll have it all done. And you can get it at version you've heard us talk about that version is a is a big app where you can get the Bible downloaded to your phone and everything else and they've given us the ability to put our stuff into their program there's 31 days in July there's 31 chapters of Proverbs just grab you know a couple of Proverbs a day in this reading plan and we will help you and you can do this with your kids that's just one easy resource you can do this summer. And we've got all kinds of other things that we would love to do to help you to be involved in the, in the passing on of your faith. I have another resource out there for you, if we still have copies of it. It's, it's a book called Generational IQ. My good friend Hayden Shaw is a member of our church and uh, is, a, is, a, is a researcher and a, and a guy, really an expert in the different generations and how they work together. He studied it for Stephen Covey for business principles, and, and he helps the churches with it too. And the problem is, a lot of us think, well, I'm just, you know, I, I don't know that this next generation, are they going to have any faith? I don't know. It, it seems so depressing. The truth is, 74% of us who are involved in our kids' faith, our kids will raise up and they will have that faith. That is the same statistic as when I was a boy. It's not getting worse. Don't give up. Some of them may walk away for a little while, but, but two-thirds of the ones who walk away will come back. And, and UCLA research Hayden lists in this book is, it's called Generational IQ. Three out of four students are interested in spirituality and have a desire to spend time exploring the meaning and purpose of life. They're, they're open for it. We just got to do it. Grandparents. Really interesting, because there hasn't been a lot of study on grandparents passing on the faith, but four out of 10 kids had the same faith as their grandparents, no matter what was going on in the generation in between. You, you, you don't stop with them. Oh, speaking of grandchildren, here are mine. Uh, there's Charlie walking down the aisle. He was the ring bearer in the adorable, and then uh, Olivia was the flower girl. I know, they're so stinking cute. Listen, I'm going to be involved in their life. You know I am. I, I, I'm, I'm going to be there for them. I want to help them. 
and their parents are going to do it. And there's no guarantees because in the end, they're God's kids and they're going to have free will. But I'm going to do what Jairus did. I'm going to bring my children, my grandchildren, my family to the feet of Jesus. Let's go back there. Jairus fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house. There's more to that, right? It's not just falling at Jesus' feet. He said, I want you to come to my house. But really the key here is inviting Jesus into your home. That's what Jairus did. That's what we're talking about. I want you, Jesus, to be a part of my house, just like Jairus did. I want you to be in my relationship with my family. I want you to be involved in my relationships all the way around. And I'm not going to leave Jesus in this little part view box over here. Okay, uh, we're gonna we're gonna bring Jesus home. Max Lucado said, "Someday I'm gonna ask God, why were you so good to my daughters and to me?" And God is going to answer by pointing to my wife and say, "Because she just kept talking about you and your kids to me all the time." That's what my wife does, and I think that's exactly the same thing. Invite Jesus into your home, and last, don't ever give up on him. Someone came from the house of Jairus before Jesus could even get there. While they were on their way, they said, it's too late, your daughter's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And in verse 50, Jesus said, don't be afraid, have faith, and she will be healed. So Jairus is kind of caught in between these two places here, right? On the one hand, he's got people saying, it's too late, give up. And on the other hand, Jesus is saying, it's never too late. Do not be afraid. And he has to decide which voice he's going to listen to. And so do all of us. Whether it's your nephew on drugs or your aging parents or your spouse with, spouse with bad habits or whatever it is, Jairus decides to do the only thing he feels like he can do at this point and trust. Jesus gets there. Don't be afraid, just believe, he says, and she, and she will be healed. And when he arrived at the house of Jairus, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, she's asleep. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. And her spirit returned. And at once she stood up. And then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. And her parents were astonished. Here's the part of this that really hit me. Her spirit returned. Some of you have prodigal kids right now. Some of you have kids. You're like, I don't know where they're at. I don't know what's going on in their life. Don't give up on them. Her spirit returned. For those of you who have insomnia because of that issue, don't give up on them. Her spirit returned. I know some of you probably find a story like this very hard to listen to because your child has passed away. I've close friends who are in that situation. Please remember when you find yourself at a cemetery, even though God didn't do it the way you wanted him to, he understands because he buried a child also. And Max Licato again says it this way, God hates death more than you do. That's why he killed it. And these are his children. And their spirits are not limited by their body. Please don't forget that. We will be in a place where our spirits live forever and God is the one that's in charge. 
Hayden said, I had, a, I had a mom who was so concerned for her unbelieving child. So I asked the mom, who loves your son more, you or Jesus? Quietly she said, I know what the answer is. I know the answer is Jesus, but it just doesn't feel that way. It feels like he's not doing enough or my son wouldn't be drifting away like this. Hayden said, that's it, isn't it? That's the heart of desperation. It's the reason why we struggle to control our young adults. It's, a difficult, it's so difficult to place our kids in God's hands when he is so committed to free will. And he makes us no guarantees except for one, that he loves them, that he loves them more than we do, that he loves them with a big love, a God-sized love, and he has since before he laid the foundations of the world. And that God's love will never end. He's always at work 24-7 calling them and he will never quit. Her spirit returned. They're his, okay? Your kids are his. So when you're worried and you have insomnia about them, when you're on the plane, in the bin is the empty wedding dress, and you're going home to quiet when they're sick, when there's trouble, whatever's going on, you always have to trust that God is their daddy and that he loves them more than you possibly ever can. I'm gonna play you a little part of the daddy-daughter dance. This is a great song my daughter found by Tyrone Wells. I just wanna play you a little part of the daddy-daughter dance. Um, to realize, going back to that Lucas Graham song, soon, soon you'll be 60 years old. Soon, soon you'll be where I'm at if you're a young parent. Make decisions today based on this scene that you're about to see. And then we're just going to play a, a minute of it. And then our band is going to come out and sing the song for us. And what I would like for you to do as we get ready for communion is I'd like for you to transition yourself to being the son or the daughter of God and listening to God sing this song to you that, that I will always love you let that be your real father singing it to you this Father's Day Lord I'm thankful for my father thankful for a father-in-law thankful for their families who passed on faith to them and they passed it on to us and I realize we're an anomaly. I realize that both my wife and I having parents have been married over 50 years and together, I, I get it. We're from a quirky, blessed family and we're gonna pass that on to our kids. But Lord, wherever anybody is at today, none of that matters if they understand they've got a good, good father who loves them. That's the only thing that matters. If there's one thing I need to teach them, it's that that's the thing that matters. Be with us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray. This was the part that really got me at the wedding I wasn't prepared for. I did the benediction. It kind of felt like, you know, it was my last shot, you know. I'm blessing them on their way as they leave and cleave. And I guess the truth of the matter is, as I do this right now, I know I might not see some of you ever again either. I might not, you literally might not ever have an opportunity to hear me. So if there's one thing I can give you, 
It's that you have a good, good Father. And this is our prayer. May the Lord bless us and keep us. May he make his face shine upon us and be gracious to us. May the Lord lift his countenance upon us and give us peace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of a good, good Father and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit be with us now and forever. Amen. Honor your fathers today, everybody. Happy weekend.